Greetings, friends. I was reading this morning the story of Agamemnon, who is frustrated because he's trying to get to Troy for war. And the winds are just not favorable. And the god Artemis is upset with him, Diana. And Artemis says to Agamemnon, the only way that you're going to get across is that you sacrifice your daughter, Iphigenia. Iphigenia, Agamemnon's beloved daughter. And of course, Agamemnon, ever the rash vower that he is, sacrifices his own daughter in order to get favorable winds as they approach warfare in Troy. This idea of rash vows comes to us through, there's somewhere we would not expect. And I, I think it really comes to, to us best through Dante and through Beatrice in Canto Five of Paradiso that I was reading earlier on this morning as well. This idea that the free will and vows have this, this really divine interplay between the two. It's the vow, the free will, things that are outside of the material world, immaterial, outside of the natural world, supernatural by definition, that they come to us through this place of, of want, of desire, of necessity. Now, it's, it's rumored that this idea of the divine will, this free will, it comes to us through the very breath in the, the Jewish context, the very breath that was breathed into the dust at the creation of the world, that, that God in his divine omniscience grants us free will because only by free will can true love ever exist, right? This this idea that, that we can't love without something other than that is, is just a falsehood, that it requires free will in order to have true love. And any love that's begotten without free will is not truly love itself. It's something more akin to enslavement or lust. Now, the other thing about free will is that it also is the only thing that makes good and evil possible, that without free will, there cannot be anything other than good or other than evil, that there, there would be no bifurcation of the two in the world. The, the, the context or the texture of the world would be uniform without free will. And so it's necessary in order to create a, a story of beauty, of elegance, that there be some element of free will. And it's amazing how often this these rash vow come about, not only from Agamemnon, but you also go back and you look through the Jewish text. You see that this, this Jewish prophet Jephthah is at war against the Ammonites, and he makes this rash vow that, God, if you give us success, I will sacrifice the very first thing that comes out of the doorway of my home when I return. And lo and behold, it is Jephthah's very daughter. A story so sad because she's young, she's a virgin. She asks her father to let her go away for two months and mourn her virginity, and then she comes back and allows her father to sacrifice this. This idea of the rash vow that we as the holders, the beholders of free will in one another and the holders of free will ourselves make these rash vows on occasion, these, these unnecessary necessary vow to placate the gods, to placate, placate reality, to placate this, this idea that we are in charge. This, we, just, we just sort of flaunt these vows around. That's, that's where we begin to get ourselves in trouble a lot of time. And so the Jews have this custom, the, the, the daughters of the Jews have this custom where they would go away four days every year and lament the daughter of Jephthah, a daughter that didn't even have a name that was recorded, but yet she was sacrificed supposedly to save the Jewish people from the Ammonite. You see, between Agamemnon and the prophet Jephthah, you have these you have these corollaries of rash vows that are only made possible by the free will. But the free will has such that, that there's this divinity of choice that is that is breathed into humanity. That the, the will is something that is is given as, as a sign of dignity, as a sign of upliftance into the ascendant. The bridge between the material and the immaterial world, between the natural and the supernatural world, where man sits at the crux. Man, the mediator himself between the earth and heaven. So we've got this dignity of choice. And 
The dignity of choice is the free will that leads either to love or it leads to hate. It leads either to good or it leads to evil. And free will is the only way through which either of these options would ever be possible. I believe it was the, the author, Emily Wilcox, who said that you will be what you will to be. You will be what you will to be. That the power of the will is something that has never been seen in the history of human world. The history of humanity has never witnessed a powerful force such as the human will. She calls it even the offspring of the deathless soul. The offspring spring of the deathless soul, that it is it is the offspring of something supernatural, something that is that is eternal, something that is immortal, the soul itself, that it survives even the death of its bearer. And that's a powerful thing to think about. And so if we've got these these things at our at our fingertips, these these ideas of the rash vows that you're able to take because of free will, because of the gift of free will, the ideas that you can either fall into evil or hate versus love or good, that you, you have all these derivative decisions that only are only made possible by the very act of free will. Dante gives us an essence of this in Canto 5 of Paradiso, where he says that through Beatrice, he says that we have this, this ability to do the right thing with free will. Now, if we're reading something outside of Dante, of course, Dante is written, I think, in the mid 1300 in Italian. It's such a dominant book that the this very Florentine version of Italian takes over the rest of the other 13 or 14 variants of Italian and even takes over the church's own Roman version of Italian because it's so powerful. It is the imminent preeminent, controlling version of Italian because it's so strong. Dante is that powerful. What he wills to be, will be. But he says this. He says through through Beatrice that the right thing, the proper thing for the free will is to, not to use it for itself, but to sacrifice it for something greater. That the will can will itself to give up itself. And by doing so, that's the only avenue to power. That's the only avenue to immortality to greatness, that if we find ourselves following the trail of free will leading to evil or to hate versus love or goodness, we find ourselves in a, in a predicament. And sometimes we'll try to bifurcate that, that, that predicament and mediate the two. And love and hate blend itself to becoming something like lust, that good and evil come to be something like the watering down of the righteous. And so we find ourselves in this really difficult crossroads. But then out of the blue, we have Dante saying, no, 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 no. The right thing to do is to sacrifice the will itself. And it's interesting where he goes with this. He His his very own father in his faith is St. Aquinas, who says that the, the most, I guess the most theologically correct thing to do in St. Aquinas' own terminology would be to make a vow, make a vow. And, and Dante criticizes him in one way. Way, saying that, yeah, of course Aquinas would say that because he's hiding behind the halls and the walls of the cloister. He's, he's a man that's separated from society. He doesn't understand how society works. And Dante says, no, 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 the better way to do it is to give up your free will itself. And of course, once the will is given up, it cannot will itself back to itself. Let me repeat that. That's really important. <laughs> and this is, this is crazy. This is crazy the way this works. You think about it philosophically. The will cannot will itself back to itself once it's given up. The will cannot will itself back to itself when it, once it's given up. This idea that we can take our will back is, is something that is, that is distant from Dante's view of how the world works. That if you sacrifice your will to something greater, something transcendent, and his argument, you should transfer your will to become that of God's will. It says that your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, the great the great prayer. That the will can become subservient to that which is greater. And somehow, some way, it becomes something that transcends even us. That even in Emily Wilcox's world, where what you will to be will be, and that the will is, is greater than the deathless soul, it's, it's the 
it's the child of the deathless soul that lives beyond death, that we can do something greater than that. What Dante says is that you must sacrifice the free will into God himself, that you must give it over, you must sacrifice, and by your own free will in his own terminology, you must crawl up on the altar itself to allow yourself to be sacrificed by your own free will. And only by doing that, only only by making the crawl itself up onto the altar yourself to sacrifice your very own free will, can your free will be sacrificed to itself, because you would never want the free will to be able to take back its own self. That to give it the free will once and for all is the way through. And you, you see this through the various traditions of the church. You see this in, in the terminology of the cat the Catholic system. You see this in the, the terminology of the of the uh, the Calvinists, where they they would argue things from Romans chapter eight verses you know twenty eight through thirty two that that there's this eternal chain where you can never be lost once you give up that free will and the, the free will being not only the vow not only the covenant of those who are on the right track towards God through Christ obviously but also the the will and the vow of a monk the vow and the covenant of those who would take on the monastic type of lifestyle. That this is this is really what Dante's espousing here, that the only way to save ourselves from making the rash vows of Agamemnon and Jephthah in the sacrifice of the things that we love the most through sheer ignorance and sheer stupidity is to sacrifice the will to something higher than itself. It said that unless a seed falls to the ground and dies, it can never produce a tree that then bears fruit and feeds the world. That unless something dies, it can never be resurrected. Unless, unless something dies, it can never really live. And I think this is this is the story that you get through uh, through the New Testament scriptures, where Christ comes and says to the little girl, Talitha Kumi, little girl, arise. And he says, well, she was never dead. She was only sleeping. This idea that death is only sleep, that death is only temporal, has this idea built it within it that we must sacrifice ourselves to he who is greater in order to transcend that which is lesser, that the mortal must be given up to the immortal in order to become immortal itself, that there's this avenue, there's this pathway that the mortal becomes immortal. And there's a hint of truth in that. What you will be, you can just will it to be. The will itself, the offspring of the deathless soul, in the words of Wilcock, is something that can transcend all of us. It, it even passes beyond death and lives in the universe in our own words, that we, we find this power of the free will. And of course, the free will in its approachment to the omniscient can also approach the eternal. It can it can endure forever, but the only way that it endures forever is by sacrificing itself. The will must sacrifice itself willingly to something and someone that is higher. And I think this is really what the stories of Agamemnon, of Jephthah, the Jewish prophet, and Dante himself tell us. What you will be, you must will it to be.